Welcome to season two of the Mindful Literacy Podcast. Our mission is to provide one-on-one and small group literacy tutoring to children with dyslexia or who are at risk for reading failure. It is our vision to create a center where children can have access to high quality tutoring no matter what their family's economic background or skin color. In our mind's eye, this center would also be a place where adults can study our written language together and where parents find support. Listener support is paramount to how much we are able to support kids in our community. Season one helped us raise $8,000 and we were able to fund two year long scholarships for the 2020-2021 school year. Mindful Literacy Columbus has three main goals for 2021. We want to secure $10,000 so we can join the Columbus Foundation donor advised funds. $25,000 to hire a part-time grant writer, $40,000 to rent our space. Here are three ways you can get involved with Mindful Literacy Columbus. You can share this podcast and you can like and follow Mindful Literacy Columbus on Facebook and Instagram. Pause this podcast right now and go like and follow before you forget. Our Facebook is mindful.literacy.columbus. Our Instagram is mindful.literacy.cbus. Make sure to share posts to your feed and tag your friends. You can also volunteer. There are four opportunities to volunteer with Mindful Literacy Columbus, even if you don't live in Columbus. First, you could join the Grant Writers Guild. Writers are needed. Second, you can join our summer camp in August. Counselors are needed. Third, We need volunteers for our first annual conference for kids and grown-ups. Even coordinators are needed. This event will be held in August. Finally, you can volunteer to be a mentor and editor for Beehive Press. We especially need high school and college-age volunteers who enjoy studying English or graphic design. If you would like more information about volunteering, please send us a message on Facebook or Instagram. You can also email our Director of Impact at Megan, that is M-E-G-H-A-N, at mindfulliteracypractice.org. Thanks again for your support, and we hope you enjoy this episode of the Mindful Literacy Podcast. Morris Council III, Ph.D., serves as an assistant professor at the University of West Georgia in the Department of Literacy and Special Education. He received his BS in education and MED in curriculum and teacher leadership, both from Miami University. He earned his PhD in special education and applied behavior analysis from the Ohio State University. His research, teaching, and service are conducted through a paradigm of equity and access. His research agenda includes two foci, Instructional Interventions for Improving Academic Outcomes for Culturally and Linguistically Diverse Learners, and Student-Athlete Academic Achievement. Enjoy this episode with Morris Council. Frequent and consistent tutoring is the key to fluency growth. No matter where your child is on the learning continuum, from special education to gifted education and everywhere in between. All elementary kids need to practice oral reading fluency and math facts. Mindful Literacy Practice offers affordable, high-quality, 
evidence-based methodology combined with precision teaching data tracking in both reading and math. For just 10 minutes a session, three to five days a week, it is not uncommon for us to see fluency rates double in the course of 10 to 12 weeks. Once you improve the speed in which your child can read and or do math facts, mindful literacy fluency programs improve what you measure. Practice, measure, improve, repeat. Listeners of this podcast can use code FLUENCY50 for their first registration. MindfulLiteracyPractice.org forward slash fluency forward. This episode is sponsored by CrossFit Bexley. I like doing CrossFit Kids with Coach Jason. CrossFit Kids is a fun and has the right amount of challenge. It helps me condition for other sports. I have been building muscles and learning how to get in shape. Plus, it gets me out of the house and is a productive use of my time. Grownups can join us for free Saturday community class from 10 to 11 and kids ages 6 through 12. Can join Coach Jason for CrossFit kids on Tuesdays and Thursday after school. University students can join the gym a discounted rate. Find more information at CrossFitBexley.fit or email Coach Brian info at CrossFitBexley.fit. Morris, welcome to the Mindful Literacy Podcast. Jess, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, it's been so great catching up with you before we started recording and you started telling this story of, <laughs> of being at Ohio State and you started saying you were sitting on this bench and I said, stop right there because that's the, that's the same story I was going to open this episode up with. So go ahead and pick back up. We're in the PAES Pays Building at Ohio State. Perfect. So this is the perfect way to start. So a little background to this story uh, for your audience. At the time, I was working full time as a football academic specialist for the Ohio State. And I was interested in just taking some classes in the special education program. So I go into Pays and there is literally, it's going to sound weird, but there is a park bench right outside of one of the faculty members' classroom, Dr. Conrad. So I go there, and I'm, I'm waiting to meet with her just to go through the courses and ask a few questions. And I, I guess to my blessing, I get the opportunity to meet Jess. And we get to talking, and I'm sharing with her what I do, what I want to do, just sharing some aspirations. And in sharing that I had a desire to continue my education, what I want to do with the student-athletes, et cetera, she introduced me to Dr. Gardner, who was a guest earlier on the podcast, I believe last season. And so she walks me down the hall. She introduces me to her advisor. And long story short, it, it took off from there. He became my advisor and guided me through the program. And yeah, it was a fantastic experience. So thank you. Thank you, Jess. You, you have significantly influenced my life. <laughs> oh, I'm glad to hear that you're not mad at me about that. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> no, it's funny because I was reflecting on, I was thinking of of opening the episode with that same story from my perspective. I was sitting on the bench, probably cram reading some article, waiting to meet with Dr. Gardner, and in you walk asking me for directions. And when we started talking and you said, I have some research, I'm, I need to renew, I need to get my Ohio teaching license, but I also have some research questions. And I was like, where did you come from? 
I'm not sure, but I know where you need to go. So I feel like I grabbed you by the arm and marched you down the hall. I'm like, you're coming to my advisee meeting. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I'm glad that you had such a great experience. And also you and I did a lot of research together after that point with the oral reading fluency program with Dr. Cartlett. And really, if it weren't for, you know, the hard, dedicated work you put into collecting data for that program, you know, I mean, it's really, I owe you my degree career as well. So there you go. So I have to add a piece to that in terms of uh, just making that decision to jump into the, the PhD program and being extremely nervous about it, first generation college student. I've never shared this with you. But in my mind, when I was evaluating that process, and, and your listeners have heard Dr. Gardner already. If you haven't, please go listen. But I'm like, okay, he seems great. He seems nice. But I, I wish I could have a little bit more to, to seal the deal in terms of if this is going to be a good fit, if I should do this, you know, trying to get over that, just the fear of it all. And I remember uh, hearing stories about how your first year in the program, you decided to go ahead and start your or expand your family <laughs> and, and have your first child and just how good of a how the way you spoke about that experience that you had in terms of navigating that process in such a positive light, that that really kind of helped seal the deal for me. So I, I never shared that with you, but I figured I'd share it with you on the podcast. Oh yeah. Well thanks. I didn't know that. Yeah, Dr. Gardner is an amazing person and really like a father figure to us, I feel like. So he always treated me with such respect. I was terrified. I, I remember like at the same time I was studying for the GRE, Dan and I were talking about starting a family and I just thought, well, let's see what happens. And it just so happened that both things happened. And I remember I was so afraid to tell him that I was pregnant, um, but he was so overjoyed by the news. And I think I was, I think I was really afraid of being discriminated against. Like he wouldn't let me in a program or something. Um, but he was like, he was so happy and like, it was no big deal, you know? So that love that he shared for just in respect for human life, um, obviously oozes out into everything he does. And hopefully we can continue that as his students. Absolutely. Yeah. And so actually, I'm really looking forward to catching up with you on what you've been doing since you graduated with your doctorate degree. And and speaking of Dr. Garner and the empathy he showed me as a non-traditional pregnant student, uh, you're going to talk about empathy today. Absolutely. So I, I guess just to, to catch you up on, on what I've been doing since leaving uh, the Ohio State, I took a position as an assistant professor at the University of West Georgia in their Department of Literacy and Special Education. It has honestly been a fantastic experience so far. Uh, One of the cool things uh, about that position that I didn't realize before going into it was just how many programs we had. We had a BSED program, an MAT program, an MED program, and an EDS program. So getting a chance to teach across those various programs from initial certification students to uh, professionals who've been in the field for a long time pursuing leadership degrees, and then getting closely connected with the campus, um, took on a position as our faculty athletic representative, uh, took on a position as our NCAA diversity and inclusion representative, did a lot of work with the Center of Diversity and Inclusion at that institution, and 
and all of that, uh, the major goal for it, at least in my mind, was how do I situate myself in a place to create educational access, whether it be for the pre-service and in-service teachers that I'm working with, or the freshmen who are coming on campus who are nervous, or even some of the professional colleagues who are thinking about uh, going into the pipeline to get their advanced degrees. It, it's been fantastic. And I wanted to talk about empathy today because, as you know, we're about 11 days from wrapping up 2020. <laughs> and this year, uh, I would say people would describe it in a myriad of ways, you know, from a year that brought frustration, uh, joy, anger, fear, uh, just a lot of emotions and it's been a challenging year for a lot of our educators, um, for us at, in higher education and K-12. And, you know, I think for a lot of people, we've had to ask ourselves, why do we do what we do and how are we serving our stakeholders? And I think empathy is a big part of that. I, I guess I, I'll jump into it. So empathy, just simple definition, um, it's our ability to understand and share the feelings of another. and. Uh, Navigating the pandemic and everything that took place this year, uh, for me, I, I sat situated and thinking, okay, well, first, let me see where, where I situate, how am I feeling, and also uh, in understanding how am I feeling, am I open and available, right, to see where my students are coming from, to see where my colleagues are coming from, to, to better understand their needs. I will share with you. Stopping in the beginning, way back in March, when I believe the date was what, March 13th or 14th, and everything just accelerated. <laughs> uh, thinking early on and trying to, to empathize and, and, and understand, okay, what is this thing going to look like for, for my students? What is it going to look like for me? And, and how can I best meet their needs? It, it made all the difference. It made difference in, in students uh, staying, persisting, and, and continuing with their dreams. I'll give you an example. So in our EDS program, it's 100% online, right? And uh, we set it up where it's designed for working professionals. And I would see drop-offs from some of my top students. Uh, so in reaching out to figure out what was going on, uh, you know what I found out, Jess? Well, they were used to being on the computer for classes, and spending an hour or two on there, but now having to spend eight hours on the computer during the day for work and then turn right back around and spend another three or four hours on the computer for class, they were starting to have physical ailments, neck, back, from sitting for so long. So like making those adjustments and, and, and listening and being present uh, was just critical. It has been critical. Yeah, it's almost like we have to take a complete mindset shift. Absolutely. How we did things, we can't do them that way <laughs> anymore. And you wonder what gives, what can give, where's the wiggle room? What can we do differently, but get to the same spot? Yeah, absolutely right. It's, it's interesting. Um, you look at it and I kind of look at being an educator in many ways, like um, being, a bus, being a bus driver, right? Public transit. <laughs> How how do I get the stakeholders who enter into my my bus through into their end destination? Right, that's that's my goal. That's how I'm evaluated. 
I'm evaluated on my ability to take them from point A to point B. And if I just look at it that way, I'm not really doing a great job, right? Because I know not everybody's getting off at the same stop. I also know not everybody wants to or knows why or even values the bus. <laughs> you know, some of the, some people are getting on and thinking about different things and, and might miss their stop. I know that uh, it might be some people's first time getting on a bus and they don't know how it works. So when you're sitting there, I mean, you could just simply do what you've been trained to do. And that's point A to point B. But you miss so many people in the process that you really do have to stop and, like you said, have that mindset shift and really evaluate how you're serving the individuals who, who you love to serve, who you're tasked to serve. When you ask that rhetorical question, how am I serving? Do you mean literally, like, how are you getting the job done? Or are you also assessing quality? You know what? Uh, quality first. I, I think that's the same thing. Getting the job done, in my opinion, is, is looking and evaluating, are you getting the job done with quality? For me, that's, that's one and the same in, in terms of that experience. And oftentimes, as you know, you could be doing uh, or teaching a certain way with one student and, and doing a great job of connecting with them and have a second student who's hearing the exact same thing at the exact same time, and you could be missing the ball. So, I mean, and I think that kind of goes down to, you know, equity. How are we supporting and making education relevant for our students? All of them in their individual ways, in individual ways that they need it. That's such a huge topic. I mean, I feel like being able to shift perspective and look at things in terms of equity and empathy is exactly what we need when we're looking at having cultural shifts. Uh, the cultural shifts that are so needed, you know, when we talk, you, you talked earlier about 2020, but even thinking about in the summer to the Black Lives Matter movement, and it's still, it's still going on. How could we be six months down the road and we're still, we're still hearing people's names? You know, the shift hasn't happened yet. So I feel like, you know, these tenants need to be taught to our people early on. And they're consistently, it's the consistent theme across their education and across their life. Because if we're teaching them skills without teaching them perspective and empathy and equity, then what have we taught? Absolutely. You know, one reason I think is. I think educators will introduce it. So it's interesting. We put it in our curriculum, right? But instead of making it a, a central focus that goes through all of our courses as an ideal that should be taught, and whether it's a uh, you know a law course or an assessment course, uh, empathy, equity, uh, being culturally responsible, all, all of these principles that have very, I'm going to say, at times, not as objective definitions. It should be intertwined in everything. But I believe it, it doesn't because as educators, and in particular, I, I talk about our training, special educators at times, we love to teach those things we can teach the mastery. <laughs> and we, when it comes to equity, empathy, those are things that are, are a continuous process. 
you never get it to mastery. You're always learning. You're always working. You're always growing. So unfortunately, for that reason, I think people tend to kind of stay away from it because they don't know what it looks like. You can do a good job with it in this year and have a completely different class next year and have to start over. And that's okay. But I think as educators, sometimes we stray away from it for that reason, because there is no definitive end in mind. It's just a process and a way of teaching. You know, and when you and I were talking before we started recording this, philosophically speaking, you were so wise in talking to me personally about, you know, talking about enjoying the journey and, you know, not worrying about the details of how you were going, how, you know, how we're going to get this nonprofit uh, brick and mortar, you know, and, and really, I think that's a really mindful way to approach life. Absolutely. It's so often where we have so much going on, whereas at times, and I think everyone probably falls prey to it, it's easy to not be present. And it's easy to treat our lives like a task analysis, where we've written out what we want to accomplish. We know how to accomplish it, and we're just checking those boxes down the list. And when we do that, it really moves us further away from really why we do what we do. And that's the relationships, the connections, making the difference. I always go back to service. As all as any educator is a service professional, we do this work because we care about the outcomes of those we serve. And if we're just checking off that list, getting through this semester, getting through this project, getting through this task, we're missing the essence of why we do what we do. And I, I personally believe that can lead to burnout. No, I was just going to say, which is actually a huge problem in the special education field is burnout. You know, that's one of the things I think that's really alarming is the, not only the, that there's not, there's not enough professors in special education. There's not enough special education teachers yet. Our numbers keep, our numbers of students who have special education needs keep rising (laughs) and people keep dropping out of the field left and right. Absolutely. Uh, and again, for, for me, it goes back to, well, it goes to a few things, right? Uh, one of the things I, I tell our pre-service educators, I get a chance to teach a course where it's literally the first course that our juniors take when they're admitted into our program. I bring guests in, similar to a teleconference, similar to what we experienced in the doc program. And I make it clear to our students that the first year is supposed to be challenging. It's going to be more difficult than what you're experiencing in your courses, and that's okay. It's supposed to be that way. But two, I also try to really push in that course for them to figure out what their why is. Why do they want to teach? What inspired them to teach? What experience led them to education? Was it a parent? Was it volunteer work that you did? Who are you as an educator and what's fueling you? Because those are the things you need to understand and hold on to when you're going through some of those more difficult moments, knowing what that why is. It's good advice. It is hard. And I think you you really spoke to this uh, earlier on when you were talking about it's been a challenging year. And so that's really great advice. I think, you know, we probably have another five to six months of challenge left, (laughs) you know, so that's great advice. What's your why? Oh yeah. You know, one thing too, when it came to this topic, uh, so for your audience, they don't know you, 
to ask guests, you know, what do you want to talk about? And, and for me, wrapping up this year, it was like, yeah, I definitely want to talk about empathy because it's been a, just a huge thing. But it's almost from the background of a, being a special educator, it's something we don't really talk about a lot. <laughs> we talk about the measurable. So as I was thinking about it, I was thinking just how much this aligns with just the work that we do and how very important it was. It, it, it made me think of three things in terms of how I would describe empathy as an educator in general. <laughs> I, I, I love to share it with your uh, listeners if that's okay. Yeah, I'm, ta- I'm taking notes, man. So go ahead. Save the day for two fun events in 2021 in partnership with the final third foundation mindful literacy columbus presents 2021 summer writing camp kids entering third to seventh grade will have the opportunity to be a part of this invested writing camp save the date for this week of august 8th email megan at mindfulliteracypractice.org for more information, make sure to mention that you heard about this camp from the podcast and enter a drawing to win 50% of the camp tuition. First Annual Mindful Literacy Columbus Conference for Kids and Their Grown-Ups. After this conclusion of the writing camp, we will hold a community celebration. This will include kids showcasing their work, art, music, yoga, food, and high-quality professional presentations for both teachers and parents. Teachers will have the opportunity to learn CEUs. The conference, which will be held on Saturday, August 15, 2021, will serve as a fundraiser for a non-profit organization. We will also currently accepting presentation proposals from teachers and professionals in the community. Please email Stacy S T A C E Y at Stacy at mindfulliteracypractice.org. The first thought to that I had more was, information as about educators, the conference the and or the right. submit of a presentation I think for proposal. many of us and we've heard it all the time. I've got mine, you know, I got my degree. I'm trying to help you get yours. I have my education. I'm trying to help you get yours. And at times, as a teacher, we can situate ourselves at the head of the table, but we have to understand that we're there to serve, and every student that we serve, every individual that we serve, they are the hero of their own narrative, right? <laughs> so it's our job to guide them and figure out what is their journey? What are they trying to accomplish? And how can I guide and support them through that? It's interesting. If you think about every movie that breaks the box office, there's a main character. That main character has some critical challenge or concern that they're trying to figure out. And then there's a guy that comes in in the movie, helps them overcome that challenge so that the hero can go off and, you know, save the princess or do whatever at the very end of the movie. And in life, it's the same way. Every student who comes into our classroom, they have a story. And their experience in your class is a part of their overall story. And it's on us to really try to understand what do they want to get accomplished and how can I guide them to get there? As opposed to situating ourselves as the ones at the top. It's our story. They're coming in. Uh, 
we are the the gatekeepers as opposed to those making gateways for them to go through. We have to be situated as a guy for this to work and for students to to see value in us. Because when we situate ourselves as a guy and we situate them as the ones who are na- navigating their own story, uh, we tend to, I, I have seen more connectivity in that process. Uh, my second tip would be to be contextual, right? I think sometimes it's easy to say we do this because this is the way it's always been done or we're following this curriculum because this is what it should be or I expect these behaviors because these are the hegemonic behaviors that we're used to seeing. And if 2020 has not taught me anything, everything is contextual. <laughs> There's some behaviors this year that I have not had a problem with at all because of because it's this year. <laughs> and as educators, we have to have that, we have to be fluid in that matter. Uh, if we come out of this pandemic doing the same things that we did before the pandemic, we have truly missed the mark. We have to be contextual with our students, understanding their stories, understanding their experiences, and, and treating them appropriately is part of being a, a truly compassionate and good educator. And then my favorite, this is the one that should uh, really pull on the heartstrings of every special educator assessment. Assessment, assessment, assessment. <laughs> uh, assessment is the, the roadmap to understanding barriers, right? If we don't understand assessment, it's hard for us to celebrate in the small victories with our students. It's, it's hard to create a, a culture of celebration if you're not able to assess those small victories. Uh, also, I, I want to speak to this point too, so I don't forget it. I think at times in special education, we do a disservice in terms of how we discuss assessment. Uh, and what I mean by that is we all know that, uh, objective and measurable is the gold standard for assessment. That's how we teach it. Right. But I would argue it is not. And many times, especially when it comes to empathy and understanding our students, sometimes it's not the most important assessment. The things that are not measurable are just as important. And what I mean by that, I'll give the example. uh, I've had students come into my class and I'll see them and know, hey, their energy's off. (laughs) They're looking at me the same. Their behaviors are the same. But something is, I know this student, something's going on. I can't really objectively and observe, you know, I can't, I can't, it's hard to capture that from a measurable, from a measurable standpoint. But you know, educators, we know, we we see what's going on. How can we make sure that we are also thinking and looking for that qualitative assessment data? Uh, I tell some of my students, one of the most important assessments you will do with your, your class is the icebreaker in the beginning of the year. That's when you're getting to know them. Who are they? Where are they from? How many siblings do they have? What, you know, what, what excites them? That's data that's important. And we use it and we talk about using students' backgrounds and interests, but that's all speaking to the qualitative more so than the quantitative. So I, I would encourage your listeners to think about assessment beyond just the, the ways we traditionally look at it. And to look at just all of the data that our students are bringing to us and valuing it all.
Yeah, that's so important. And I think that comes back right around to empathy because we're really talking about assessing the social, emotional well-being of your students. Absolutely. When you plant lettuce, if it doesn't grow, you don't blame the lettuce. You look into the reason why it's not growing. It may be fertilizer, water, less sun. I think assessment does that. that for me, that's probably one of the most powerful things about special education that, that just connects me to it is there's always something to explore, you know, a, a reason where you don't necessarily have, you don't have to give up. You just try something different. Yeah. <laughs> and you can't do that without assessment. And sometimes, you know, don't give up, just try something different. And it can sometimes be the smallest thing. It can be one tiny shift that was magical. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I love these. Okay, so we have, I'm looking back through. So you, the teacher as guide, we've got be contextual and assessment is key. Yep, those are my big three. Yeah, I love this. I feel like you could have a whole like semester long class on these three tenants. It's interesting because, you know, I think one thing that has been challenging for educators this year in general is where in the past we have been in a space where we can control the situation, right? We set up our classrooms before the students get there. We prepare our scoping sequences. We know the curriculum. We are prepared to execute something that we planned. And lo and behold, 2020 comes and says, yeah, you're going to be on the fly just like the students. (laughs) It's going to come at you. The principal might say this this week and then get an email from their superintendent. And that's going to change. And you're going to have to be as fluid as your students have to be. And I think for many of us, we forgot what that felt like (laughs) to have to show up every day and do your job and also go with the flow. And one thing that I've heard school leaders, policymakers, even researchers discuss is, again, What education looks like on the back end of this is going to be different. So in many ways, we still don't know. So the only way for us to keep our sanity (laughs) is to, again, be present and be fluid and and be in alignment with our students, because the things that we could have controlled or tried to control in the past in terms of I'm setting up this environment in this very structured and intentional way, for many of us, that was taken away this year. Yeah, and it's almost like the light, the the students became the teachers of the grown-ups because I think the older we get as adults, the harder it is to be uh more flexible, you know? And I actually think there's some uh my yoga teacher just I was just talking to her last week and she was talking about how uh after 35, the neuroplasticity of our brains just it just starts getting more rigid than if you're not you know, if you're not intentionally practicing uh, being fluid and present and being able to pivot and switch perspectives, then it gets, it just gets even harder. I think like probably the context, going back to your words, the context of 2020 gave us this opportunity to kind of, I don't know, for me, it was almost like, like I snapped out of myself and I was like wait wait what okay (laughs) you know 
let's take a 360 degree view of what's really going on here. What's important? What absolutely needs to change? What do we really want to hold on to? And what can we let slip through our fingers? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'll add to that. Uh, in terms of, of a big to do and understanding for me, it, it was the prioritization of things. So with the pandemic happening and, and basically for us, daycare ending and having a three-year-old at home and a newborn at home and trying to work full time, we basically saw no separation of space, right? So you're raising your kids during the day while you're also trying to work and then you put them down and then you keep working because you didn't really get to work work because they were at home all day. And you do it over and over and over and, and you stop and you start to ask yourself questions. Like, okay, hmm, this is interesting. This is a, a, a new change. Let me evaluate the elements. Uh, it, it's funny, uh, in education, let's take reading, for example. We talk about reading as a whole, then we break it down to component skills, right? Here are the component skills that helps one to be a successful reader. But we don't necessarily always do that when it comes to work. We don't talk about working as a whole and then break down the component skills that make someone a happy and successful, uh, you know, at, at the work that they do. And I, I look at this pandemic and, and, and the shift in things and found myself having to look at those smaller component skills. I, how am I balancing my time? Uh, what am I doing with my energy? What aspects of work are life giving versus life taking? Uh, what is what does parenting look like and how does that work in align with my work? And, you know, even being to, to, to that degree, which, you know, as educators is great because like, oh, everything I teach, I can also teach to my child, which is a huge benefit and bonus. But oftentimes, I don't think, at least for me, I hadn't taken time to be intentional about every element of what I did during the day and what I did for work and how it aligned with my life. Uh, and it was important to do that. Yeah, because I feel like without that, some of the things maybe didn't really need to be done or didn't need our attention or our energy. You know, it's almost like what's the... What is the bare bones, simplest way to accomplish the goal? And that goes back to our behavior analysis, <laughs> like uh, parsimony. <laughs> you know, I was just going to say that. Uh, you know, interesting enough, parsimony for me has been the uh, my tool that I have used to combat cognitive load. And, and what I mean by the, the whole cognitive load of it is, I'm sure we've all been situated in a space where we have something that we really should be focusing totally on because it takes a lot of energy, but you're thinking about a, a million uh, other things. Uh, okay, uh, what time? Uh, what are we going to have for dinner tonight? Uh, who's doing bath time? Uh, I got to pick that. Is my package coming in? It was supposed to be in yesterday. You're prioritizing all these different things, but first of all, trying to keep it simple and, and trying to create structures where you can take those little things that you shouldn't be thinking about in the moment, automate them and kind of get them to the side. Uh, yeah. <laughs> How do we make things more simple? Because sometimes we, we do ourselves a disservice. <laughs> yeah, it takes, I think it takes a conscious effort and I'm really admiring, you know, listening to you speak because you are obviously so aware and, enlightened and wise and you I'm sure I just I'm really happy for you and your family and 
I can't think of a better father for two little boys to have than you. I mean, that's so fun, <laughs> you know? I, I appreciate that, Jess. I, I can tell you, they have taught me a lot. <laughs> they have taught me so much in a short amount of time. I think I was sharing with you before we started recording. Uh, the, the interesting thing with this parenting that I'm realizing, you know, the, the the days are long, but the years are short. And it really, you know, you got to think, okay, how am I prioritizing just everything that's going on? And, and, and for me, before I had my sons, you know, I could pretty much just wake up and I, I would start my day at five, get those couple hours of writing in. It was very structured, very systematic. It was on autopilot to a certain degree. And then when the little ones got here, all of that somewhat changed for a benefit to, to the better because now you're looking at the balance. You're thinking about what they need and it all becomes more purposeful because they're a major part of your why. You know, they they kind of redefine it. So yeah, it was, it's, it's been great. So sweet. <laughs> and can, I want to ask before we wrap this up, Morris, what is your why? You know what? My why is honestly educational access. I want to live a life where I can say, from a professional standpoint, when I retire, I was a positive contributor to helping. I haven't put a number on it. I, I would love to say a million. <laughs> Hundreds of thousands of people navigate their educational experience, navigate their professional experience, and know that they had someone in their corner who, who cared about them, who supported them, who had the tools and resources to help them be successful. Because it, it, it's a transformative experience. I, I sit on you know this side of my microphone, having benefited from individuals who were bridge builders for me. And, and my why is, is to be that bridge builder and to continue that work and to do it for my family and do it for others. So that's, that's my why. I love it. I have a big smile on my face, and I'm so happy that we got to reconnect, friends. So am I. This, is, this has been a pleasure. This has been a true joy. All right. Do you have any last words you want to say before I stop recording? No, I'm just, uh, thank you for the opportunity to come on your podcast and and speak with your listeners. And yeah, it's been great catching up with you. Yes, you too. Before we wrap things up, we wanted to mention one more way from anywhere in the world that you and your students can get involved with Mindful Literacy Columbus. For just $25 a month, you can become a patron member of Mindful Literacy Columbus. Yes, that's right. For less than the cost of a latte a week, you will become a champion for child literacy and you will have the opportunity to give directly back to kids in two ways. First dues enable staff to grant right, fundraise, and build organizational awareness. Second, patron members are invited to contribute monthly to our publishing house, Beehive Press. The books that your students will curate will then be sold to generate even more scholarship money for your students. Beehive Press is an imprint of Mindful Literacy Columbus. Here is what patron members will get for their $25 per month. Submit one book by Kids for Kids for Beehive Press per month. Receive 
video lesson plans on how to engage kids in the writing process and PDF graphic organizers to help with the pre-writing process. It includes help with book layout, one-to-one -one final editing session, marketing, sales, and logistics of the book, receive the proof of the book for free, it includes copyright and ISBN number. Each published book that is sold gives back to MLC. 50% goes to scholarships, 50% goes to authors. To become a patron member, go to mindfulliteracypractice.org slash donate. Thank you for listening to Mindful Literacy Podcast. May you be inspired, energized, and share this love with those in your care. We are also grateful to have you as a part of our community. If you are enjoying the content in this podcast, please share this with your friends and colleagues. Subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Please also take a moment to connect with us on Facebook, mindful.literacy.columbus, and on Instagram, mindful.literacy.cbus. We want to hear from you. What topics do you want to uncover next? Who is doing these amazing things on the field of education that we should be talking about in season three? Until next time, may you be happy, healthy, and at peace.